Well, church, if you have your Bibles, please open them to 1 Timothy chapter 2 for a message entitled, Pray for All People. So as you know, we're going through 1 Timothy, and this is written by the Apostle Paul, by the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to Timothy, who is a leader at the church at Ephesus. But first, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us understand and how to apply that to the church at Russellville. Father, you are so good to us. You are merciful and you're kind and you're holy, holy, holy. And we get to spend all eternity with you because you have purchased us by the blood of Jesus Christ who was a ransom paid for us. Lord, we worship Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for what you did for us. We thank you that you suffered for us. And we thank you that you told us the truth, that you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, truly man, truly God, who paid for all of the sin that we committed, past, present, future. We thank you that our eternity is secure and that no matter what goes on in this world, We have no fear because fear has to do with judgment and you have said that we will not be judged because you were judged in our place and we thank you for that. Lord, we we just ask that you would help us to understand this word. Lord, how to pray for all people. Lord, teach us, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let me read 1 through 7, and then we're going to go back and we'll break down each verse. Just as a side note, isn't it an amazing thing that what we get to do? I mean, you think about that. We have the health and the mental capacity and other abilities to be able to come to a, a, a location and to be able to actually read words on a page and comprehend them, understand them, and apply them to our lives. I mean, we are a very, very blessed people. We are not worried that someone is going to arrest us for doing what we are doing. I mean, we, we are a very blessed people. And so we're getting ready to look at God's word and I just want us to just to just think about that, that we are a very, very blessed people to be able to do what we are about to do. First Timothy chapter two, verse one through seven. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle. 
I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So here's the thing is that as we read Scripture, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit lives within us and that we are to be like Christ. We're to be like Jesus. And we know that Jesus loves people. He came to die for sinners. And his will is, his desire is that all people come to a knowledge of the truth. So they repent of their sin and then they turn to Christ. They turn to Jesus. Then what happens is God makes them born from above and they are changed and then they have the power of the Holy Spirit within them. And so knowing that God's desire is that all people come to Christ and are saved, then we want to say, okay, if that's what God wants, then that's what I want. And so sometimes we get stuck in our maybe political tribes. And so if someone is on the opposite political team than than us, we have a hard time praying for that person. But understand that when Paul wrote this, Nero was in charge. And Nero was a horrible, horrible, horrible person. And so here's what Paul is saying is that, hey, church at Ephesus, you need to pray for those that are in high positions, kings, everyone. And so think about this. When you start to think about, wait, do you mean everyone? Yes, everyone. And so if there's someone in your mind that you just strongly disrespect because of maybe their political stances on something and, you know, you harbor some animosity against them, I would encourage you that we are to be like Christ and Christ wants us to pray for those people because what's happened is Jesus said, I died on the cross for that person and my desire is that they come to Christ. And so as we read this, let it kind of, you know, encourage us to understand that we are to pray for all people. So now let's break down verses 1 through 2. First of all, so this is very, very important what Paul is saying. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So let's kind of break down those four nouns. Supplication. Here's what the dictionary says about supplication. The action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. Okay? So we're going to look at that word supplication and we are going to say we are to be asking. We are to be asking. Now, you see the next word, prayers. This is what the Expositor's Bible Commentary says about that word. Quote, it is the most general word for prayer occurring 37 times, regularly translated as prayer, it always signifies praying to God. So now you could say, well, Rusty, of course, we're supposed to pray to God. Well, let's just be clear. I mean, maybe it wasn't as clear in the church of Ephesus who we are praying to. So we are to ask supplications, prayers to God. Now let's look at that word intercessions, intercessions. That same Expositor's Bible commentary goes on and says this, quote, the third word, entuxis, is found, that's that word translated intercessions, is found in the New Testament only in 1 Timothy here in this passage and in chapter 4, verse 5, translated here as 
intercession. It seems to be used there in a more general way for prayer. The Greek word was used in the sense of, quote, conversation, and then of, quote, petition. Perhaps it suggests the idea that prayer should be a conversation with God. Trench, so this is another uh, person that he's quoting, says that it implies, quote, free familiar prayer, such as boldly draws near to God. Origen, which is another person, the greatest Bible scholar of the early church, taught that the fundamental idea of entuxis, that word translated intercession, was boldness of access to God's presence. Okay, boldness of access to God's presence. So what we're saying here is this word intercession is one having a conversation with God and coming to God with bold access to him. So now when we go to God, we are going and we're asking, we're going to God boldly and going to have a conversation with God. We're going to have a conversation now, here's the thing. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, lives within every Christian. And so I definitely believe that the Holy Spirit can communicate to us in a way that only God can. Now, how that works, we have to be very, very um, careful making sure that it's actually the Lord communicating to us. And what, what we do is, if we feel that the Lord is showing us something, telling us something, we go to his word and we make sure that it doesn't contradict scripture. And so there's a conversation, there is a two-way conversation between us boldly going to God and asking him for salvation for these kings those in high authority, and then it says everyone. So, it finishes this with thanksgiving. So we come to God with an attitude of thanksgiving. Now, when you thank someone for something, it's usually because they have given you something. So, when we go to God petitioning on behalf of someone else for their salvation, asking boldly entering into a conversation with God, we're going to thank him for what he has done and what he will do. What he will do. And so we want to have faith. So let's just, practice, let's just break this down to a practical level. If you have a neighbor that doesn't know Christ, let's say they are, they are a very prickly person. The Bible says this is that we are encouraged to pray for that person boldly that they receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Okay, now let's go on and see what happens. So verse three, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So if you're a person who says, you know what, I'm a, I'm a new Christian, what is good, what pleases God? Well, here's the thing, is that it pleases God for us to pray for the lost. That is pleasing to God. There are different ways that we can please God, and one of them is praying for those that are lost. So as you wake up in the morning, you say, I wanna start off by pleasing the Lord. Man, a great way to do that is thinking of someone that is in your circle or 
is maybe the President of the United States and praying for that person, praying for that person. Look at verse 4. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God desires that all people to be saved. Guess what? You know why you're saved? You know why you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is because God desired that. God called you to himself. Now here's the thing. A lot of times we don't talk about hell and we don't talk about those who don't repent of their sin. But we don't want to leave that out. And so I'm going to read two passages about those who actually don't receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, who aren't saved. And my hope is this. My hope is that it spurs us on and the reality of what is going to happen to those who don't receive Christ as their Lord and Savior sets in. So turn with me to Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 42. This is Jesus talking about hell. Hell is a place where those who reject the saving faith of Jesus, what he's done for them on the cross, those who reject Christ, this is where they will go to spend all eternity. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great milestone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. So just stopping there, Jesus is saying this, is that hell is an unquenchable fire. I don't know about you, but I've gotten burned, and man, it hurts. It is a very, very painful thing. And that's just for a moment. What this is saying is that hell is an unquenchable fire. Verse 45, And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Verse 48, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it for his presence Earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now the book of life is all those who have received Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
All those who have repented of their sin and come to Christ, believing that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and he rose again on the third day. These are the people whose names are written in the book of life. Now here's the thing, I want this to set in for us, is that our neighbors, our senators, the congressmen and women, if they haven't received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, they go to a place called hell where there is unquenchable fire and there is torment forever. Now, it would be one thing if I told you that it was a thousand years of torment, they would get out and then they would have another chance. Or maybe if I told you it was a million years of torment and then they would have another chance. But the Bible says this, is that it is final. When we leave this earth, the decision whether or not to follow Christ is eternal. That should be very reassuring for those who have received Christ because being with him in heaven is eternal. It never ends. And guess what? It's not based on our goodness. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. He's paid the penalty for our sin. So when we sin and we mess up again, the Bible says this, we do not lose our salvation because our salvation did not depend upon us. It did not depend on our righteousness. It depends on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. The Bible says that he was paid a ransom a ransom. And a ransom, if someone is kidnapped and they're held hostage and they write a note, I will give this person back if you pay the ransom. You give them the ransom and then the slave is set free. That is what has happened. We were all slaves to sin and Jesus said, I will pay the ransom. He paid it. We're set free. So all of us in here that have received Christ our Lord and Savior, we could take a deep breath, think, okay, I am saved, I'm secure. But here's the thing, what Jesus is saying to us is, yes, even though you are saved and you are secure, I still love people and I want them to come to a knowledge of the truth. I want them to know me. I want them to experience the forgiveness of sins and I want them to be with me forever. And how do we do that? Well, there's multiple ways, but in this passage, what the Bible is telling us to do is to pray. Is to pray. Look again at verse 1. First of all, first of all. And so what that is saying is a congregation, first of all, what we need to do is to pray for the salvation of everyone. Of everyone. Look at verses 4 through 7. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. And so Paul goes on and says, listen, I am telling you the truth. I am not lying. Think about that. We saw last week that Paul stood as Stephen was executed. And do you remember what Stephen prayed? Do you remember as Paul was standing there, they put the clothes around him, those that are participating in the murder, as they gathered up stones and they threw them at Stephen's head, crushing his skull. And as 
Paul stood there, approving of the execution, Stephen cried out, He cried out a prayer for their salvation. I mean, think about that. Let that set in. Because look at what Paul is saying now. Pray for those that don't know Christ. And as Stephen is being murdered, he cries out and prays for those that don't know Christ. And guess what? Paul comes to Christ. Paul comes to Christ. And so let us be encouraged. It's something that I'm going to try to do more and more that as a gathering, as here in Timothy, Paul is saying, listen, first of all, this is a very important thing. You need to pray. So in public gathering, we want to pray for the lost. And so instead of just letting this be, you know, a, a, a sermon and, and, and then we go on, why don't we, just, why don't we just do what it tells us to do? Because here's the thing, is that in order for us to reach the people across the street, and in order for us for, to reach the person across the fence, and in order for our nation to come back to Christ, we are called to pray. We're called to pray. And guess what? Guess who's going to get all the credit when we pray? God's going to get all the credit because we're just going to petition him. We're going to do exactly what he called us to do, and then we're going to wait for him to bring salvation to those who don't know Christ. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait for someone that we will pray for today that will walk through that door and you're like, Rusty, come here. This is the guy that we prayed for. You would never guess what happened. Okay, tell me what happened. Well, here we were, his tractor broke down. I saw him on the side of the road and I just so happened to have a wrench and I stopped. I helped him and then you'll never guess what happened. Tell me what happened. I got the boldness to ask him if he wanted to know about Jesus. And guess what he said? He said, yes. And guess what? Here he is. He's in our church. And we prayed for him today. We prayed for him today, April 30th, 2023. We prayed for that man, that woman, that child. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing that someone that we're going to pray for today who's in government, who doesn't know the Lord, something happens and they receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's because God honored our prayers. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start us off in a prayer. And I'm going to pray. So you can pray for anyone, someone who is in leadership, in a high position, a king, Whoever it is, let's pray. Now, here's the thing. I don't know who in our government is a Christian or who's not. So let's not get offended if someone prays for someone and you think, well, they are a Christian. Okay, then we're just going to pray for them. But here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead us off in a prayer. And then I'm going to ask that our congregation prays as well. And so you could be praying silently, but I'm also going to ask... You just stand and pray.
See, here's the thing is that I don't want this to be a performance where, you know, everything has to be so like strict. I wanted this where a congregation of people have come together. And so I want it to be where you think, you know what, I'm a Christian and I could pray and I would love you for you to stand and pray for someone for their salvation. Okay, so I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to pray. So if people will stand and pray. And then I will close us in prayer. So let's do what our God has told us to do. Father, in Jesus' name we come to you. Lord, we come asking to you boldly for salvation for those in our government. Lord, I'm going to focus just on all of the senators Lord, all the senators in Washington, Lord, I don't know which one of them are yours and which one of them are not, but Lord, I pray that you would save every one of them, that you would lead them to a knowledge of the truth, they would feel the love of Jesus Christ overflowing them right now, whether they're on a plane, whether they're in an office, or whether they're in a restaurant, that they would start to feel the love of God. Lord, I pray that you would save them, that you would set them apart because you have painted a very scary picture of where those will go who reject you. And Lord, we do not want them to go there. No matter how in opposition they are to our moral views, or what they have done, Lord, we want them to receive grace and mercy, just like you showed grace and mercy to Paul as he stood there in approval of a murder. And Lord, just how you have shown grace and mercy to us when we turned our back on you Lord, show grace and mercy to the senators. We pray that you would save them. And now, Lord, I pray that you would hear one of your other saints as they cry out to you for salvation for someone else. 